It's that time of year again, election season. We're less than one year away from the primaries for the next election cycle. So today I'm bringing on someone who's running for U.S. Senate in the state of Michigan, Michael Hoover. So sit back, grab yourself a cup of coffee or whatever it is that you're into. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden on the America Out Loud Network. You don't know what they sacrifice. We have lost touch with the principles in the Constitution. Nobody's read the Declaration of Independence. You are voting for socialism, and you got what you voted for. Welcome, bold Americans, to another episode of America Emboldened. As always, I'm your host, Greg Bolden here on the America Out Loud Network. Today, I'm joined by a guest who was born and was raised proudly in the state of Michigan. He has roots over five generations strong. His career was not spent in politics. He was successful at Dow Chemicals, and he launched many small businesses in Michigan. He also helped introduce the use of recycled plastics in the automotive industry, and he helped preserve a family-owned recycling center in his own community. Now, according to his bio, it becomes evident that Michael has enjoyed giving back and helping others through employee training, development, and several nonprofits, and they are global, national, and local. Michael Hoover is now running for the soon-to-be vacated Senate seat of Debbie Stabenow. So we're going to bring Michael onto the show right now. Michael Hoover, welcome to America Emboldened. Hey, Greg. It's great to be with you. It's great to have you here. I, you know, Thanks I, for having me. We're ramping up here into primary season, right? You're probably kind of getting into the full effect right now. You have uh, several other individuals that are running with you uh, to try to get the Republican primary for U.S. Senate in Michigan. That's going to be on August 6th of next year. That's correct. Tell me a little about, let's start at the beginning. Uh, who are you? Why are you deciding to enter the political rat race that's known as politics in the United States. I often refer to it as the pits of politics, but you know, forever I uh, was uh, one of the people that was yelling at the screen and yelling at uh, or talking to anybody that would listen to me talk about how our country has fallen off a cliff. And then, uh, you know, after being uh, so active and so vocal about it, particularly when our country started uh, shutting down our churches and our small businesses and our schools, that's when other people started saying something. So, well, why don't you get involved and why don't you participate? And finally, after having a long conversation uh, with my wife, um, she said, you know, if anybody can do something about this, it's you. And so why don't you get after it and get it done and make it happen? And that's why I got involved. I got involved because I have four children. I have nine grandchildren. And I see our country falling off a cliff and I see what our grandparents uh, and our ancestors did to build up uh, an, an amazing country, an amazing nation uh, that we know is the American dream. And now it's uh, being taken away piece by piece, slice by slice. And it's, it's taken a lot of time because when you build up something so strong, it takes a lot of uh, undoing for it to 
uh, take away what was, was something that was so special. And so here we are today uh, with the country, I think, truly on the cusp. And we can see it in so many different avenues. If you look globally, if you look locally, we've got a lot of different issues that we need to tackle and we need to fix. And I'm just, uh, I'm an everyday American that's got to live the American dream. And I have had some success uh, and I've been blessed with uh, that and I'm in a great family. So I'm here to serve and here to earn your your trust. So Michael, let's let's talk about your experience because you know a lot of people. I, I want to cover a couple different areas today. Sure. I want to cover what a senator actually does because I think some individuals may not understand that. Okay. But before we can get to that, I'd like to get to your experiences in business and in life okay. that have led you to this point to be a servant leader uh, in order to want to enter into our U.S. Senate because we're not starting at the local level with with your seat. Right. We're not starting in the in the small, smaller portion of all the elected officials in Michigan. We're starting at the national level, at the federal level. And so I want to just maybe highlight your career accomplishments. Tell me about your time in the working world and what you've learned that believe make you a good candidate and fit for America. Okay. So you know, and I think it uh, that the experience counts. And you know, one of the things that's really important is at a certain age, you don't know what you don't know. I certainly was at that point in my life in different uh, parts. And I, you know, heck, I've still got more to learn now. But, you know, I can remember when I was in my 20s and my 30s and my 40s. And, you know, you keep growing. And now I'm inching in uh, towards 60. But um, the experience came from the start of my basically my life. Um, my mom and dad were both factory workers. Um, and so I understood really early on what it what it felt like to do hard work. And then dad had a firewood, a firewood uh, business on the side. And when I was like six or seven or eight years old, I was part of that firewood business. Uh, and then I met my high school sweetheart. Um, we fell in love when we were in high school and we got started really young and uh, you know, we didn't have much to uh, uh, much income or, you know, much to put together. Uh, you know, we started on our own and we've lived uh, our entire life taking care of our ourselves and our, our children. Um, eventually, I got my degree from Northwood. Uh, back when I went, it was Northwood Institute. Now it's Northwood University. And it's a great degree. It's a great school. It's a private uh, free enterprise school. Uh, they tout themselves as being the America free enterprise school. And from there, I got a job at the Dow Chemical Company. I worked for Dow for about seven or eight years. And one thing that's great about Dow is that it's global. Uh, it's based on energy. Uh, there, This is some of the best and brightest people uh, from across our country and across the world. So I've got exposed to that. And in doing so, it allowed me to lead a team that eventually figured out a way to change the front end of the car, making it more aerodynamic, more stylish, and certainly reduced um the uh, fuel or in, in, in increase the fuel efficiency, I should say. And in, in doing so, I won the Dow President's Award, which is the highest award that uh, is bestowed by the Dow Chemical Company. And then I also won an award called the Most Innovative Use of Plastics by the Society of Automotive Engineers. Well, that led to uh, folks from all, all over the world trying to recruit me away from Dow. And eventually I figured out that that would be a pretty good time to start my own company. I've always been an independent thinker in mind and always wanted to have my own business. And so I took a leap of faith and, um, and people came calling. 
And there, so there was companies from all over the world. I worked very closely with a company based out of Taiwan. So I've been in that market for, you know, since 2001. I very well understand what it feels like to, um, uh, to feel the threat from China. Uh, so well expressed by my friends uh, that, that live and work in Taiwan. Um, I've worked globally and uh, I've also um, traveled globally. So I've been in Germany, I've, I've been in Poland, like I've been down to Nicaragua, I've, I've traveled all over the Americas. Um, and so I have a good understanding of what it likes to be a citizen from different countries. And it, there's a lot of value that comes with that, which we can, we can dive into. But one of the things we did uh, with our business is we continue to work with plastic technology and development. And one of the best opportunities came across on my desk, which um, ultimately was a flight down to Troy, Alabama. And that was to figure out how to use uh, milk jugs, Tide, Downy bottles, bo bottles that are made, bottles that are blow molded HDPE bottles. And we did figure it out, it took us about a year and a half to figure out a way to use this into the automotive industry, but we got it done. And then that's been going on and it'll go on for for eons now, uh, but uh, we've we've uh, recycled over 500 million pounds. We could fill up Ford Field over 3,000 times, and so instead of that going to the landfill, it's now being the production of our cars across North America, and that plastic waste comes from all over North America uh, as well. So it's a truly an American solution, um, and it's something that's uh, it's done a, a good thing for our country. So then we got into a few other businesses, as you mentioned, the recycling center locally. Um, then we also protected um, homes from all across Michigan from diseases that uh, ticks and mosquitoes carry. And, and uh, so that's kind of been, you know, a, a lot. I've, I've started four different companies. Uh, all went well, successful. I've hired lots of people. I've learned a lot, made a lot of mistakes. That's how you learn. Mm -hmm. And uh, But I've, you know, served people locally and globally. That's excellent. I, I, I learned a lot about that when I was researching you, but to hear uh, all the different lists and Ford Field and the amount of waste that's been reused in order to uh, make it useful instead of just sitting in a landfill somewhere, it's more impressive when you say it. It really is. <laughs> um, that, that, that's phenomenal. So maybe that can get us into one of the first issues that Republicans and Democrats seem to disagree on. And okay. I'm curious because you sound like you have a, a maybe a unique perspective on waste and the planet. Climate change is a huge talking point of Democrats right now. Yes. Uh, you hear Joe Biden, he just was doing the uh, speech just two days ago, where I don't even know what his response was. He told some story about uh, John Wayne that was supposed to relate the climate. Anyway, I don't really know what that guy's up to. But the point that I want to ask you is this. You spent a lot of time figuring out, hey, you know what? This plastic isn't good for the environment in the standpoint of it's not breaking down. Let's right. reuse it. Let's make it sustainable. Yes. If you were to go to the Senate and you're elected by the people of Michigan, what would you do to address the climate change conversation to make sure that it's healthy and that it's on point? What do you disagree with? What do you agree with? So I, I've tried to dive uh, very deep into the subject matter um, because, you know, I come from a science-based uh, organization and experience. And when I go into this, you know, one thing that's obvious, you know, is that you can you can measure temperature, no doubt. You can see that we've we've had a, a slight uptick in our temperature, um, and that's where that's where the facts start to, I think, um, get a little misty after that. Uh, if you start looking at some of the renowned scientists uh, that are speaking very clearly 
about what this is truly all about, um, they're, they're very clear that this is not something that we are uh, 100% responsible for. As a matter of fact, many scientists, I think there was recently just a new report that came out, I think it was over 1,600 scientists from around the globe said, hey, this is this is not from something that's man-made. Um, and, and, and I, you know, I can accept that even if we are contributing a little bit, um, okay, so be it. Um, the, the issue is, is that we need to work on technologies that are sound. And what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that they're reliable, they're cost efficient, uh, they're something that we can uh, transfer uh, around the, the, the world. And one of the things that we know is that natural gas, renewable gas, and reactor technologies are phenomenal technologies. Yet, there seems to be this agenda that um, is used against them. And I'll give you a little bit of history on why this doesn't add up. If you go back uh, back when Obama was president, all of a sudden you started to hear about fracking, fracking and all there was this great thing that was starting to take place where we could find uh, new uh, sources of natural gas. And now we found more here in the United States of America than anywhere else in the world. And it started to take off. Well, initially, uh, the Obama administration was all for this, but one of the things that was holding them back is they had another agenda, and which included their donors that were all about these solar panels and these wind turbines. And so they actually came up with the concept that we need to make uh, fracking look like a bad thing. And they did. And all of a sudden, you probably remember the news going on and on. Like, this is an awful thing, terrible thing. But, well, what, you, but, wasn't I'm, it interesting in the last um, election, uh, Mr. Fetterman, um, how he was uh, talking about how he was all mm -hmm. for fracking. It was a great thing. And so now we're talking about off both sides of our mouth. And, and that doesn't hold water. That does not consistent. What we know as uh, people in the energy industry is that the 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 best thing for poverty, the best thing for employment, the best thing for economic growth, the best thing to quell inflation is energy. Because when you have low cost, reliable energy, you lift people out of poverty. That's how this country is because became so amazing because we, we had a great energy source. And of course we had in, innovation uh, throughout to the, our course of our the time of our country. But if you go to say maybe South Africa and some of the more poverty stricken places, they have they don't have near amount the energy that we have. And so we have to look at it not only as what is it good for, for me and my household and my family, we also have to look at this as a, as a global citizen. And we know that they need a whole lot more natural gas, renewable gas, and reactor technologies so that we can lift them out of poverty too. And they can lift themselves out of poverty. It's one of the greatest things we could do for this world. So I, I know that the person that you're looking to replace, Debbie St Stabenow, which number one, uh, I, I, Senator Stabenow, I think I might've just said her first name wrong. I apologize. Um, but Senator Stabenow is a career politician, got involved in 2001. And I, I want to commend her for getting out now. There's a lot of politicians right now, you know, we're seeing um, Nancy Pelosi, we're seeing Dianne Feinstein, we're seeing this, this old Mitch, guard holding on. But Mitch one McConnell. of the things, Mitch McConnell, yeah, with, with the, the almost like focal seizure, it looks like right now. I don't know what yeah. it is, but it's yeah. not good. It's not a good look for strength in America. It's not. 
you're you're uh, the person that you're looking to replace. She helped pass a ban of oil and gas drilling in the Great Lakes. Now, the Great Lakes are very important, not just the Michigan, but the entire region, right? They're extremely large body of water that is important for drinking water. It's important for the general infrastructure of the central part of the United States. That's right. Was this wise in hindsight then? Are you seeing more poverty in Michigan as a result of her passing this ban of oil and gas drilling? Or uh, was this wise? Where do you come down on that? Well, for sure, we're, we're going. To, we're seeing more poverty, and for sure, we're going to continue to struggle as a state uh, and as a nation. Uh, because when you t- you take out the the source of energy, the low cost uh, of how you do business, how you run your household, what um, what what's coming into your home to to heat your heat sources, when you, and electricity, when you take that away, everything goes up su- substantially. And I know the folks in Michigan have seen their bills rise tremendously. They've told me, uh, I've experienced you know myself. Uh, we've seen huge increases. The other thing that it does is it scares business away. Businesses want low cost operations. That's just the way the world works. And so if you have low cost energy that's reliable, they're going to come here. They're going to invest, and they're going to uh, do it without government money and they're not going to be subsidized which we're seeing today and that's one of the things that people don't like they don't like their money uh going to multi-billion dollar corporations but it's, it's happening in our state and it's really the, one of the saddest things that i've seen is that if you drive through our beautiful state once was just full of uh beautiful farmland and rolling hills now it's almost alien looking when you drive in certain parts of our state where you have these huge monstrosity of 10 million, 10 million pounds of steel and these 100,000 pounds of PVC that you can't recycle. Uh, uh, and it's dotted across our, our state and it's not reliable. The wind doesn't always blow. The sun doesn't always shine. And it's, it's, a, it's a tragic move. Now we can fix it. You know, we can pull this back and we can go back to you know, energy that we know is going to be lower cost and it's going to drive our economic growth and it's going to bring down the cost of living for everyone. Uh, and, but 2024 is critical because if we, don't, if we don't get it done, if we don't come through 2024, you know, we've seen a lot of changes in our country just in the last three, three years. Well, buckle up because we haven't seen yeah. nothing yet because I've seen a little bit of their agenda and what it looks like. And it's, it's a socialistic utopian view. They want universal basic income. They want 100% government-run medical care. Um, they want to uh, have more socialistic uh, ideals and concepts, and they definitely are going to attack our civil civil liberties. You're seeing that in New Mexico State. That's a trial balloon, and the whole country needs to stand up against that. Yeah, I, I want to get to New Mexico maybe in the second half here, but uh, let's let's stick on uh, something you just went into. You talked about Medicare and that they want to have uh, health care. I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. Sure. Uh, my listeners know I am more of a libertarian type of a viewpoint type of individual. So they already know my answer on this, but I like to ask uh, individuals when they come onto the show. So the first question will be, is healthcare a human right? Healthcare is, it's a human right when you take ownership of it. Um, I guess the way I'd look at it is that, you know, one of the things that we don't have the opportunity in this country is to know that we're eating healthy foods. So sometimes I'll say this: these words, uh, you know, food is medicine. And when, if you just start with the, the core of what we put in, we are what we eat. Well, that's true. 
uh, and part of the problem that we're that we're running into is that a lot of people don't know what they're eating because they're eating foods that have mislabeling on them and they have chemicals that many European countries won't allow in them in there. So, you know, the first human right, I think, is to take care of yourself so that you we lower the cost of health care for ourselves. And I think that's something that we're responsible for. I don't I don't think that that somebody else is supposed to take care of my health and determine what I put in my body. Um, I should know full well what kind of food and I and then it's up to me to take care of my body because ownership is everything. As soon as as soon as you take ownership away from anybody on anything, you don't treat it near as good. So if I'm responsible for my health care and I'm responsible, I'm going to take care of my body better. I'm going to find the most economic health care. I'm going to find the best doctor and I'm going to make sure that I, I drive down those costs. And that's another thing that you're starting to hear, hear mm-hmm. conversations about. Um, one thing I'll share with you and your listeners is that in your audience is that healthcare <laughs> in my lifetime the number of administrators that has increased is 3200% while physicians have only increased 100% again in my lifetime that's 32 times more administrators so when you talk about when people talk about right. healthcare you're not really talking about true healthcare and doctors you're right. actually talking about growing a system called insurance and bureaucracy and government and that's not that's not has nothing to do with making sure that i'm right. you know eating apples and oranges and vegetables and meats and uh, get some exercise and make sure I get, get outside and get some sunlight. Okay. I, I agree with uh, almost every point that you've made. I think that we have a responsibility, a personal responsibility for our own health. In fact, when you talk about uh, rights and what's protected in this country, you have a right to your life, but you also have a personal responsibility to live that life in a way that is just ethical and good, meaning you can't break the law, as well as you're responsible for what you put into it. The reason why I bring this up is because Democrats right now are gonna make this, I believe, a 2024 talking point. If I'm reading the tea leaves are okay right now, I believe that they're going to look at 2024 and say, Medicare, you know, we wanna expand this, we wanna try to, tell the companies what they're allowed to charge, what they're not allowed to charge. Social security, we're hearing them go after Republicans for saying that you should have the ability to put your money into your own account during your lifetime. We don't have the money to continue on social security. And so I'm curious, if you get to the Senate, what would you do in order to try to address the healthcare insanity as well as the social security insanity? Because I know this is gonna be a question that you're gonna be debated on eventually into the future. So I would start right where I started and that the first thing is, is that if we want to drive down costs because we can keep spending, you, well, you, you will actually in our country, we can't keep spending forever. They've, they've shown that we're, we're going to put ourselves in a situation where uh, we, we can't afford the interest on the debt. But if we want to fix healthcare in this country, the very first thing we must do is we must make sure that the foods that we're eating are healthy. And because if we just tackle, if you just tackled one thing, and that was diabetes, you basically solve the healthcare crisis that is occurring in our country right now. So that would be the very first thing I would go after is let's go to 
the cost. Let's go to the the issues that are creating the problems that we're we're having right now. The next thing is the Affordable Care Act. Uh, that increased the uh, the cost of healthcare by 130 percent. It reduced our choices to gave more power to the insurance companies. We know who you know. The only one that actually uh, read the Affordable Care Act, all 360,000 words of it, was the authors, and that was the insurance policies. That was the insurance companies, I should say. And so what, maybe maybe not even all of them read it. I think they read pieces of it. You had to, right. you had to pass it to know what was in it. <laughs> that's not true. So so that that would be the next thing that I would go after is is I would pull pull that back, and uh, you know we have to displace that. We have to cut back as much bureaucracy that they've put into it because over time what they've done is as I pointed out is that three thousand two hundred percent. You know that that is not true healthcare. That is just this, an administrative bureaucracy that has uh, destroyed the true relationship between the the doctor and a patient. So we've got to put that back in place. One of the concepts that I really like is um, the sharing uh, concept. There's a company out there. There's a few, and I don't mean to uh, you know suggest them or promote them. I have no relationship with, in, with regards to that, but MediShare is one of them that you see commonly advertised out there. Uh, but what that does is, is that it's nonprofit and it actually uh, lowers the cost dramatically. And I've actually seen it firsthand where they cut their monthly um, costs by 50%. It's a true, it's a true number. I've actually seen it. And so by sharing our, some of our expenses with each other now, but when we do it much cleaner, instead of going through the bureaucracy, now we read out, reduce the cost substantially and you restore that doctor patient relationship. So that's something that I, I really like. So I would tackle the cost. I would go right after and pull out the administration, uh, pull out uh, the Affordable Care Act, and then I would introduce new concepts that uh, help us uh, do a, a much better job of uh, protecting ourselves on, on massive medical. You know, those are kind of the bigger issues is, is, is the big medical things that can bank, bankrupt somebody. And Social Security. Is Social Security something that you believe that we need to pivot away from at this point in time, or do you think that we can continue to support that? Social Security goes uh, goes to what seventy five percent funding I think in nine years. So I've seen mm-hmm. yep I've seen those numbers. So we're on a, we're not we're on a failing traje- trajectory going forward. It's not it's not going to work. So we've got to clean up Social Security. And basically, what we have to do is we have to grab a hold of. We, first of all, the Republicans got to take control of the Senate and and the White House. Hold on to the House. And then we can we can we can move this ball forward. Yeah, we probably still need some Democrats to to get on board. So this is going to be a place where we actually have to grab a hold of each other uh, and jump off a bridge, and and so that we can truly fix uh, Social Security. Because right now, on the pathway that, you know that we're currently on, it's not going to work. And I do believe that there is a whole bunch of waste in there uh, on Social Security. We blended Social Security with some other other things, and you know people have paid into this. This is their money. They you know they have to get it back this is obscene to think that that our retirement folks are going to have paid into a system and not get their money back but there are a lot of people that are pulling from social security that didn't necessarily put into it and that's where i think we can we can clean we can clean up part of that cost as well and i do agree with you i think you mentioned earlier about being able to have the younger folks be able to put into a fund mm-hmm. whereby their money can can generate so much more money. We everybody has seen those side by side comparisons. Uh, if that you know, 
starting when I was, you know, 30 years ago, 40 to be able to put my money into a, a very conservative fund where the money would be. We will and, always outperform government. Absolutely. Always. Yeah. always. And, and one of the things we know is, is that when we took ourselves off the gold standard, we were guaranteed that the stock market was going to go up because that's yep. what the wealthy people wanted. The sad that's part of that is the cost of living and what it did to um, the average uh, working uh, mom and dad. All right, when we get back on the on the flip side here uh, of the break, I'm going to talk about inflation. We're going to talk about the finances. We're going to talk about uh, what the Biden administration has not been doing and what Senate and the House uh, seem to be failing the American public. Everybody's telling us we're living in good times, but it doesn't seem like to me when I go to the grocery store, I'm living in really a good time at this point. So we're, uh, we're going to address that. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, this has been awesome so far. We're in the first half here with U.S. Senate candidate Michael Hoover. He is running in the state of Michigan. Um, we're enjoying the conversation. I hope that you are as well, but we got to take a break to help support the show. If you get an opportunity, go over to americaoutloud.store where you can visit our sponsors that help keep the lights on to bring you high quality content, just like this interview today, as well as keep the network going. And all of my colleagues, people like Dr. Peter McCullough, people like Dr. Uh, Paul Alexander, uh, Malcolm Outloud, the constitutional scholar, Paul Engel, and of course, your favorite, me. Uh, so really appreciate you helping to support the show, helping to support the network. Go over and do so. We'll be right back after this brief break. Well, the out loud truth was the rallying call that started it all. AmericaOutloud.news was an idea, a movement, a place where folks would feel comfortable speaking the truth without being censored or canceled. The First Amendment is alive and well. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Hey everyone, Nurse Kimberly Overton here from Nurses Out Loud. Over time, our cell signaling molecules diminished, leaving us vulnerable to the wear and tear of life. With the Sea of Redox, you can restore and revitalize your body at the cellular level. This is an incredible product that I personally use and can attest to seeing fantastic results, including better sleep, increased energy, improved mood, and a decrease in my joint pain. ASEA supports your immune system, enhancing your body's natural ability to repair itself. It promotes overall well-being so that you can experience a new level of vitality and resilience. It's time to take control of your health and experience the power of ASEA. Visit our online store today at americaoutloud.shop and use promo code OUTLOUD to save 15%. Be sure to tune in to Nurses Out Loud Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Welcome back, Bold Americans, second half of the show. I'm here with my guest, Michael Hoover, who is running for U.S. Senate in the state 
of Michigan. We're having a conversation about the key issues that are going to be discussed during the 2024 election, as well as what Michael would do about that should he be elected to that seat by the great people of Michigan. Enjoying the conversation. We've covered the economy, uh, well, Medicare. We've covered Social Security. We've covered climate change and a couple other topics the first half. But now we want to get into what's hurting people in the United States. And I believe that the number one thing that's not being talked about is the economy for a number of reasons. The blame goes to both sides when you talk about the economy. The blame goes to Republicans and Democrats. Republicans do not get a free pass on this simply because Joe Biden's been in president for the last two and a half, almost three years now. The reason I state that is because if we go back to the coronavirus and the pandemic, and I, I shiver when I even say the word coronavirus because our personal liberties were absolutely destroyed during that time. But not only were our personal liberties destroyed, but I believe that our pocketbooks were destroyed as well. And they were destroyed because under a Donald Trump presidency, they thought that it would be a good idea to stimulate the economy. They forced everybody, especially in Democrat-controlled cities, to shut down their businesses. Small businesses lost their jobs. But yet they would allow people to get these personal loans that would help keep their business open, which people abused because they found loopholes in. And then they gave every single family a $300 check here, a $600 check here. I have a family of four. I think I got a $1,200 check at one point. You cannot have inflation when you give free money to hundreds of millions of people in one year. And then Joe Biden came in saying he was going to fix everything. And what did he do? He continued to give money. And so the pocketbook, the purse, the Congress, they are completely out of their due diligence at this point in time. They are not fulfilling it to the American people. And there needs to be checks and balances. When Michael Hoover goes to the Senate, what are you going to do to reel in the out of control spending, our trillions of dollars of debt? I think we might be up to $33 trillion at this point. We continue to kick the can down the road because we're afraid of shutting down government. Does Michael Hoover say, I don't care about kicking the can down the road for my grandkids. What I care about is starting to address this now, and that's going to mean pain because we're already in pain. We got 8% at the, at the homes. We got people that are having trouble putting food on the table. And so as a result, they're not eating healthy. They're eating processed food. How do we begin to address this? It's a great question. It's a big, it's a big issue. Uh, and you know, you said it so well that, you know, this isn't uh, something that happened overnight. Actually, it goes back even further. Uh, in again, mm-hmm. just using my own lifetime in my lifetime, cost of living is up a thousand percent. So you have to ask the question, why, why did this happen? And one of the things that uh, you'll go back if you're ever studying, you look at uh, Nixon and he says, don't worry. When we go off the gold standard, your money will be worth just as much as um, it is tomorrow as it is today. Well, it wasn't. And the cost of living didn't want to shut up a thousand percent. And the reason why is because the wealthy, the well-connected, the inside government, um, they love inflation. So we have this war and this is something that people don't understand is like, why do we have inflation? Well, it's because some, certain people really like it and they love it because it makes them uh, much more uh, powerful and they have a lot more money. Because when you create inflation, when you create more dollars, there just means that uh, somebody that owns a lot of stocks and these are huge 
banks, Wall Street, uh, Wall Street uh, bankers, uh, when you own a lot of uh, properties, when you own lots of land, uh, corporations, well, then what happens is everything, every time we're printing more money or spending more money and creating inflation, well, the cost, their, their wealth goes up. Because assets don't multiply as much as the fast. They can't stay as, it doesn't go as fast as cash increases. So that's why they love inflation. And they'll continue to turn it and turn it and make it happen. And we won't get rid of this until we actually elect people that have lived the values of time. And when I talk about time, time is money. And what all we've done is devalued the working men and women's time. It used to be a time and a place where one income easily took care of all the bills when so one parent could stay home with the ch- the children. And that was so that was an attack on the family. Uh, there was a time that you know you could uh, buy gold with 10 hours of work. And that was in 1971. Today, it's going to take uh, 133 hours of work at a, a $1,500 an hour wage. So I would go directly at this uh, from the first one is, is the cause, and that's the Federal Reserve. We go. We have to take away the Federal Reserve as we know it today. Right now, they have a dual mandate. One is employment, and the other one is inflation. And we have to we have to pull that back, and we have to reconfigure how the Fed operates, and so that they can't just continuing to answer to the elitist. The next thing is the spending. Um, obviously, we're spending way too much money. We're out of control, and you, we have to look at every single thing, including the military industrial complex we, we spend more money uh in national defense than the top 10 countries next top countries combined so that is something that we know we have to look at but we have to look at every other avenue that where we're, we're wasting too much money uh the government is the fastest growing the largest um employer in our country the four wealthiest connected counties uh, in our country, it's not in California, it's not in New York, it's not Texas, it's DC Beltway. So we've got a real serious problem. And yeah, Rome fell, and they fell for a reason because they got too heavy at the top. And so it's going to take some really tough decisions. It's going to take folks like myself that have balanced budgets and understand what this really means to every everyday, you know, working Americans, and really what it means for. The next two two generations behind us, because if we don't get this right, they won't have a true a, a country to to live in anymore. Michael, you won't be the first person to go to Washington D.C. though that has balanced the budget before and has made that promise to Americans, right? Like, true. so, and I, I say this not to be snarky and and to be you know an no, unkind fair. guest. Yeah. I say that because I think Americans are tired of hearing politicians say. I've balanced the budget. I've been successful in my businesses. I've been an entrepreneur. I'm going to go to DC and I'm going to fix this system. I'm going to have these solutions and they get down there mm-hmm. and nothing changes. Washington DC is like this monster that swallows people. Yes, and yes. I I've talked to people when they go there and uh, I won't name the names, but they all tell me it's once they get in, it's very difficult to make the changes they want because everybody's shaking everybody else's hand back door. You got lobbyists, you have special interest groups, and then you kind of fear what you're doing to move forward. And so I'm wondering, how do you feel about lobbyists? How do you feel about special interest? And how would that influence any of your decisions and your thinking? What promises can you give listeners and an audience that are listening to your words now? 
well, here's the first thing you have to know is that they're not they're not knocking on my door, <laughs> and uh, yes. not knocking. <laughs> well, that's true, but um, uh, I've made it very clear. And and um, here's the other thing is that um, you know this is so much bigger than me. I, you know, I I may have I don't know 25, 30 years left on this planet. Who knows? You never know. Tomorrow is not promised, but it, what a promise that the, the promise is is that uh, that I'm going to make to everybody listening, uh, and it goes right to my children and my grandchildren as well, and all children and grandchildren, is that we have to, we must absolutely elect people that are Americans, and they're Americans in terms of doing what's right for the country, and, and what you're doing what's right for the country, you're doing what's right for the children and the next next the next uh, generation. And I think that one of the things that I, I'll share with you is that it's a little bit personal, but, you know, it's germane. Um, I held my dad's hand when he passed. Uh, it's, it's been about uh, 13 years ago, actually. And I knew right then and then when he passed that, it, you know, I was up next uh, in, in our family. And but I, I sat back and I actually took it all in and said, you know, his life is over. He's lived his life and people are going to, you know, talk about what kind of person he was. Well, so ever since I've lived that experience, I live, I kind of try to do that on a daily basis and say, okay, how will this impact my end day? I know it's a little bit of a weird way to look at it, but I think it's a right way to, to, to do it. And so my mission is much bigger than, uh, than going into and getting some kind of title or doing it. My mission is really to save our country. And my mission and, and my dedication, my commitment is to do that for, uh, for my my great great grandparents that came here first, my grandparents, my dad, my mom, and certainly our kids and all of all Michigan and all all people of America, and so I, I know there's other folks that are in D.C. I've met them, I've talked to them, I've I've you know I've looked them eye to eye, uh, and and because I've done that, uh, there's certain organizations that have embraced me and brought me into their organizations, allowed me to speak to their donors, and that includes. Uh, you know, some of the most popular conservative constitutional organizations, such as the Heritage Foundation, the National Policy Council, the Social Conservative Co Conference, the Club for Growth, the Beckett Law Fund. Uh, so, you know, there's the Freedom Works. So I've had, you know, very good intimate conversations with all these organizations and been able to, to speak uh, with their leadership as well as their donors. And they know, and, and the reason why I've been brought in and, and why I was, you know, that door opened to me is because they knew that I truly believe in the Constitution and I believe in the bigger picture and it's way beyond, you know, myself personally. Well, this leads right into another question that, that I had for you, but this is a great segue. So uh, right now, I, I really struggle to believe that people understand the Constitution as well as I do. I, and that's not me saying that I understand the Constitution in a more important way than anyone else that studied as a constitutional scholar. It's simply that I've taken classes on it. I've read it cover the cover repeatedly. I've broken it down, read the Federalist Papers in order to understand the context to it, had conversations with scholars like Michael Bednarik when he was alive to talk about the Constitution. Do you believe that a Constitution class should be a requirement to serve? Because I'm getting the feeling that there's a lot of people that put their hand on and they swear an oath to the Constitution, but they don't it. truly know what they're putting an oath to. And so... What's your understanding of the Constitution? It sounds like you have a lot of backing there, but yeah. tell me a little bit about your personal experience. Uh, so, you know, I just, I just grew up, uh, 
when I went to Northwood, of course, that was something that we studied. Uh, it was something that uh, just kind of came into my, you know, my being, if you will. Uh, I'm certainly not a scholar. I'm certainly not perfect at it. And I would probably, you know, make a few mistakes if uh, I was grilled on it. Uh, but I know, I know that it's a standard that we need to live by. And I know that it's worked and there's the reason why our country is so successful. And, you know, if you look at the Constitution, uh, you know, really when it was designed and you can correct me if I, I've got this wrong, but it was basically for three three main things. And one was to make sure that we had we protect the people. Um, the second thing was to make sure that we had uh, commerce. And the third thing was to, that, uh, to make sure that we had a system to uh, run the different government buildings that were in place. And then beyond that, you know, you know that was that was kind of the basic of of what what the Constitution was all about. I mean, obviously we have our liberty and our free rights, but as far as as far as what a government can do, and now look at our governments and our governments and everything that you can possibly think of. We have all these different departments: the Department of Energy, we got the uh, Department of Education. Or those are kind of the ones that you and, know. And there's nothing popular. there's, there's nothing, nothing constitutional about any of them. And that's nope, for somebody not. like myself that's like a nerd about this stuff, and I talk about it on my show and I bring people on, you know. I guess you didn't know there's a quiz on the, no, I'm kidding. There's no quiz on this, uh, but, but I get, I get upset when I see things like what happened in New Mexico over the weekend and people tell me, well, Greg, don't worry. The courts can decide whether or not this is constitutional, what the governor has done. And for the listeners that are maybe living under a rock right now, New Mexico governor has just issued that she is suspended due to a health emergency yeah. that you cannot open carry or concealed carry in Albuquerque and the surrounding areas, not the entire state, but that part of it. And it's a civil order that she has demanded. Yeah. She has no constitutional authority whatsoever to do that. And I don't need the Supreme Court or any other courts that tell me that no. because I understand what rights are and Americans, I wish they'd get more educated on their rights versus their privileges and what their responsibilities are. The same way that I hope that Congress and Senate understand what their rights are as a senator, as a congressperson, as well as what their privileges might be that they get as a result of being that member and the responsibility they have. So I just wanted to go through the constitutional powers of the Senate to with you for a quick moment to talk about maybe where we've outstepped our boundaries and where I think that we can kind of reel ourselves back in. The Senate's responsible for proposing legislation. They are about drafting or amending bills. They're about the filibuster, right? We've seen senators go out, they delay and block legislation, they talk on the floor for hours, or they prolong debate in order to give more time. They're supposed to have oversight of the federal budget, which we just talked about. I think that's a really big question. And they're also the oversighting the executive branch by approving or rejecting the presidential appointees for the agencies. And that's become this big political game lately as well. It is possible for the Senate and Congress to violate the Constitution. And so when you take that seat, it's a huge responsibility because you may pass something that's unconstitutional for next hundred years. Yeah. And if the Supreme court isn't all of a sudden saying, Oh, wow. Or the people aren't saying we need to stop this. We can do damage to our country. Like the federal reserve, 1913, we have an unconstitutional power that took over the commerce, which is supposed to be in the Congress. And now in the federal reserve, we're looking at CBDCs, which is central bank, digital currency, the yeah. fed now program, it's expanding and we have nobody from we, the people to represent that voice and reel it back in. And so I'm going to ask you a question of, can you explain 
how government is functioning now yeah. because it doesn't feel like a republic anymore. It's not. It's not. You're you're right on it. And and uh, so what what's happened is we've basically allowed the executive branch with all the different departments take control and take power away from the people. Uh, and so to, and so instead of everything running through the Congress and through the Senate, uh, and now it doesn't do that. And you pointed out very well on the Fed Reserve and of course all these departments they go create their own new rules and. Um, drive them through to to us as uh, taxpayers so one of the laws that i do like a lot uh that's been uh proposed and i would be on board with it uh quickly is the rains act and the rains act basically says that if any body and in, in terms of the executive or any of the departments try to put something through that's going to cost the taxpayers 100 million dollars or more that it must come back through Congress and the Senate, then I, that's one great way for us to, to reel this uh, back in and so that we have control. It is, I mean, it, to me, it's a make or break because if we don't get it done, they're gonna, they're not going to, they're not going to stop. I mean, Biden, just in his first two years, he put through 517 new edicts that uh, cost somewhere around $15,000 per family. And, you know, that's just a, a continued, uh, socialization of our country and and running our uh, you know our future into a debt that you know we're not going to be able to afford that interest. I mean, next year the interest on the debt is going to actually uh, go over what we pay uh, for our national defense. So we've we've got to we've got to clean these things you know clean those things up. But I do like the Rains Act quite a bit. Curious when you get into the Senate, there's going to be a lot of different characters that are there. And, uh, because you're going to be working with a lot of these characters, yeah. I'm not going to name them because that's my baggage that I talk about on my show. We're not going I'll, to do it during I'll the name, interview, I'll name some. <laughs> but I want to ask you a more positive question. Sure. Who are your political role models and why? Yeah. Rand Paul, Tom Massey. Uh, those are, you know, they're really good. I've met Rick Scott and Tim Scott. Those are good folks, you know, JD Vance. Um, so those are just uh, Josh Holly. uh, so I, you know, I've got a chance to uh, meet some of these uh, these people, and you know, we align. You know, we align with regards to bringing our country back and getting the spending under control, getting the power back to the people. You know, one of the things that I hear most of when I'm out talking to the thousands of people across our our uh, state, but I certainly traveled across the country, is they don't want to see uh, billions of dollars going to bail out. Wall Street. They don't want to see a bailout banks. They don't like seeing money going to, you know, Ford Motor Company uh, for to build, you know, batteries on the backs of uh, taxpayers. So, you know, these are all things that we can undo and we can clean up. And so that we have true free enterprise again, because right now, I mean, I can talk about any single industry. Everybody's got their, I shouldn't say everybody, but most, most people, except the small people, small business people, uh, they have their hand out and they're every, everybody's riding this, uh, the coattails on the government. So it's, you know, even our automotive industry, our energy industry has been taken over. Um, even here in Michigan, consumers in Detroit Edison, they're both getting money now. And it's, this is just no way to run a country. We're, we're going to continue to uh, create a a bigger and bigger problem the more we do that because when government gets involved the only reason why this money goes is you got to follow the donor you got to follow the money you got to follow mm -hmm. the politician and where that money's coming from there's a reason sadly they don't do things because it's for the betterment of our country and for the americans they sell it that way but 
it's that's just not the fact you know the people that will make the best decision are the people that are listening to you and me today they'll make the decision where that money should go and they'll spend their money much more wisely than any government person in, in dc or any uh government you know crony person in right. some of the departments what do you think the most challenging part about joining the Senate would be? You know, if you get elected in, what's the biggest challenge that you see? Is it an individual? Is it the yeah. legislative body? What, what, what do you, what would you imagine? You know, I think it's just going to be that I'm going to run into people that are going to be uh, for themselves and they're going to be, uh, trying to answer to their donor community. I think the other thing that really troubles me is when you start to see like what's going on right now, we need uh, relief going down to Florida. Biden's holding it up because he wants money to go into Ukraine. So whenever you see uh, at the last minute, you know, they're, they're trying to shuffle in their little uh, favored, you know, things that they want to take back to their states, you know, that really bothers me a great deal because you're not being, tr you know, you're not being uh, truthful and you're not doing the best, what's best for the country. You're only trying to pay off somebody back in your, your home state. And, and so I, you know, I'm going to have a real tough time passing a bill that I know is, you know, it's got a lot of great things in it, but it's also, you know, going to help um, some crony capitalistic you know, backdoor deal that uh, has no place. So I think those are those are going to be right the biggest issues. I'm used to working with a lot of different people, from you know uh, CEOs of billion dollar businesses to shop floor workers every single day of my life, and um, so I can work with different personalities. You know, I've worked with people all over the globe. My wife and I, we lived in the city of Detroit. We've lived in the farm country. We've lived in uh, suburban. Um, Michigan. And so we've got to meet and deal with a lot of people. And that's one of the, the graces of, you know, moving around and experiencing is that, you know, you have to meet people where they're at. That's one of the things right. that I have learned uh, in my uh, 58 going on 59 years on this planet is that, you know, you have to, the only way we win people over is you have to meet them where they're at. And I, we've had over 50 Democrats sign our petition. Uh, and the reason why they've signed it is because I listened to what they had to say, because if I walked in, I always I use this example. Let's say that um, this person bought a chair and they've had this chair for 20 years. It's a really comfortable chair. They spent a thousand bucks on it and it's held them up really well. And now let's say that one of us walk in there and we tell them that their chair sucks. <laughs> not going to go over real well, is it? No, no. So, no. so it's the same thing that kind of plays with regards to uh, people that have been in you know, a party, one party or another. Uh, and so what we have to do is meet them where they're at and then broaden the, the discussion and say, well, what's really important? And what, what I've learned is that people really love the idea of making sure that they're safe, they're secure, they're protected. They don't have to worry about their kids. They don't have to worry about kids being trapped across the border. So security is number one. The next thing mm -hmm. is fairness. They don't, they don't want the the corporation having a better deal than than the other corporation and they don't they don't want people having a, a different starting line than what they have they like people people like things being fair they like their dollars to be treated um as hard money um because they're working hard for their they're working hard for their money so they want it to stay hard and i mean that to be so that so it doesn't inflate away from them right yeah and then and then the, the last thing is they want economic opportunity they want to see the the 
kind of growth that we had for the time when, you know, when Reagan was president or when I was a kid, we actually were paying down the debt when I was a kid. Can you imagine that? Uh, But they want to see, you know, seven and 10% and we can do that. And we can do that with the revolution in energy and uh, bringing a lot of our jobs back home from China. You know, we sent tens of millions of jobs off to China, off to China after, uh, Mr. Clinton, President Clinton, put it in the World Trade Organization. So these are all things we, you know, I've dealt with throughout my my life. But those are the things that are really important to Americans and uh, mm-hmm. my neighbors here in Michigan. I'm going to ask you uh, as we wrap up today, because uh, we're running low on time. So let's uh, get like a rapid fire on some of these issues. Yeah, okay, and I'll be quick. I'll be quick. I, 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 I don't like doing rapid fire because I believe that you and I could have a four hour conversation to try to begin to address some of these issues, right? We, we couldn't, that wouldn't be enough time, but I, I'm just curious if we can kind of go in. So your stance on, uh, try to keep it 30 seconds here, okay. your stance on Joe Biden sending billions of dollars to the Ukraine for it yeah. or against it. And, um, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I'm against it. Um, and the reason why I'm against it is that if you go back into the 90s when we actually signed an accord, uh, we said that we wouldn't push NATO forward and we pushed NATO forward. Um, Putin, and I'm no fan of him, uh, fan of him whatsoever, but uh, he said, please stop, stop. You don't want missiles in Cuba. You know, you didn't want missiles. I don't want you on my border either. And what we're doing is, is just this is just putting money into the military industrial complex. They want this war. They want it because it puts money in their pockets. And you, you can go back to Iraq, you know, Afghanistan, Nicaragua, Vietnam. You know, we were warned about the military industrial complex and they need a, They need an enemy to um, justify their one point five trillion dollar complex. All right. Taiwan. Right yeah. now, there's uh, the conversation. We get our semiconductors from Taiwan, mm-hmm. which is the reason why we're such a great ally. Let's not, you know, <laughs> let's not lie about the reason why we have a, an interest there. Sure. China wants to reclaim Taiwan. I have uh, sources on the ground that I know that we've deployed troops into South Korea. I know that we're in Alaska. We are in a uh, the the Western Pacific mm-hmm. in order to be able to defend should we need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are... Uh, at a point where there could be war at any moment. Is this good for America to maintain our allegiance to Taiwan or should we get out of the foreign entanglement? That's a tough one. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a tough one. And the reason why it's so tough is because we actually have a treaty um, that we said we would protect Taiwan. And so that, you know, to me, I like living up from, I like living up to our word and I don't like the idea of China continuing to flex its muscles and overtake um, countries like you know Hong Kong and and now talking about Taiwan. So I would rather, much rather, get them to the the conversation and talk economically and under, and do something in that regard. I think we could have done that. We could have uh, avoided the whole war in Ukraine for sure, because obviously mm-hmm. we kind of pushed into it, but I think we could have got in and had some conversations. I think that's what we need to be doing now instead of, you know, ratcheting up the uh, military discussion. I think we should be talking about how can we resolve this uh, politically and economically and make sure that uh, China understands how severe this would be economically to their country. All right. Uh, abortion. I had to hit this because you're going to hear this on the campaign trail as well. Sure. Uh, did Roe v. Wade and the Supreme Court, when they ruled back last June, did they get it right and did it go far enough or was it an overstep uh, over of what they are allowed to do? 
I think they got it right. I think that if you look at the um, how how they ruled um, and that the court had overstepped its bounds um, and that it actually created law <laughs> uh, that was wrong. And I, I think from a constitutional standpoint, Supreme Court got it right. Um, and and so now it's back to the the states the states' rights. Sadly, here in Michigan, um, you know, Proposal Three passed here, and it has basically no limitations. And it's tough for people to understand, especially people that are on the side of abortion. They that I don't think they can really bring themselves to understand that this actually goes all the way to nine months. And I think that's, um, that's something that we have to speak and you have to talk to and we have to be on the offense because it just seems to me that, you know, Planned Parenthood putting all this money into the Democrats pockets, um, you know, is something that we we have to we have to speak out loud and say how wrong that is, and we also have to talk and say why the Democrats you know take the position. You know, they're they're mm-hmm. getting funded um, to do so, and we have to you know at some point in time as a country listen to what Mother Teresa said. You know, she was asked by Hillary Clinton one time, "How come we don't have a a, a woman president?" And without missing a beat, Mother Teresa said, "Well, you probably aborted her." So, you know, this is something that, you know, we have to uh, we have to address, I think, in terms of where are the Democrats limits? Do they have any limits whatsoever? And, uh, you know, kind of put that uh, on them to say what they'll what they're willing to do to to get this so that it's more representation of what Americans and uh, you know people here in Michigan would like. All right. This is my my last big question for you. And it is a big question because it's something that I think most Americans are kind of tired of. Um, I don't know who you voted for last election. If you're a big Donald Trump fan, you're not a big Donald Trump fan. But what I can tell you is this. I'm of the mindset that I personally think that our country would be much better off if it wasn't a Joe Biden, Donald Trump uh, election, if we moved on from this for the betterment of both sides, because we are highly polarized, even though I think that Donald Trump did a fine job up until COVID. I really do. Mm -hmm. But I just don't think that he's right for the country moving forward because we need to turn off the furnace at this point in time. But I would hope they get a constitutional candidate. That's my personal stuff. I'm going to ask you, If when you uh, are running, somebody says, I need you to pledge to Donald Trump that you support his presidency, no matter what. And all of a sudden, you know, whatever you think about these court cases, but he gets starts getting convicted and he's sentenced to jail. Do you hold that commitment or are you more of an independent thinker where you just want to see the best candidate win, no matter what the political party would be? I truly believe in the American people. I really do. Uh, and I know we're, you know, in such a uh, polarizing time. And I agree with you. I think that uh, President Trump did amazingly great things in terms of policy and our economy and our cost of living. Uh, I mean, he did so many th- good things for the minority uh, communities. Uh, and both on a uh, criminal, legal, financial. I mean, he just did a lot of really good things. And I agree with you that towards the end, um, you know, spending all that money uh, was, you know, it was not a, it was not a, it was not a good idea. And it was not, certainly wasn't good for our country. Um, So with regards to that, you know, I, I do believe in the American people. I think that they will get it right. I, I'm not somebody that 
um, feels like I have to get in line, you know, for one particular person to endorse me or another. You know, the most important thing for me is for the the voters to endorse me and to, for them to support me and know that I I come as a you know independent, um, strong minded person that, that really believes in you know protecting our kids and our uh, their rights and uh, making sure that the future is good good for the next generation and, and of course we can turn it around now I mean I'm not I'm, I don't think that we we can't turn this around pretty darn quick because because we can um, and so everybody that's listening to me that may be in their 20s and their 30s and 40s you know I'm not discounting you either I've got kids that are in their 30s and 40s um, so uh, I think that's I think that's kind of how I, I come down at that you know did I did I support Donald Trump? of course did I vote for him absolutely. Uh, would I support him if he's ultimately uh, elected or he's the nomination? Of course, I'm going to. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the will of of the people, and um, you know, it's bigger than me. I don't I don't I don't get to say who ultimately is uh, nominated for the Republican Party, and uh, I just hope and wish that it, um, we win. And so we can we can win the general uh, because that's that's really critical. But it, it needs to be somebody that not only that we can win. I don't want somebody that just can win because obviously we have a lot of people that can just win. Yet they're part of the elite. They're part of the you know the bureaucracy. And there's the reason why our country is failing and struggling is because the system has been corrupted, whereby we have uh, people coming in with big money, big donors, and then they get these these uh, candidates elected, and they're just part of the one party system and so really really important is that we we get a we get somebody that is not from the one party system that truly is in alignment with the people yeah the unit party is very strong and that's kind of what i was getting at too it's like we we got this stronghold now but i also think it's very dangerous when people start taking oaths to a specific person that yeah. you know in order to get votes in the future and i think that Americans are going to start demanding more independence from that thought in order to be electable. If I could run as an independent, I would. <laughs> you wouldn't get the votes, though. You, you, you wouldn't. The that's the, that's right. the there's problem. Too, there's, there's too much of a base, and yeah. and so obviously more yeah. you know more of my values uh, align with the Republican side. And truly, you know, if you look at what's happened, and, and especially with uh, President Trump coming in, you know, President Trump refined the party, so it, it represents the working class. He spoke to their values. He spoke to the time and their effort and. Uh, making sure that they understood that he saw the bureaucracy and he saw the mm -hmm. the, the one party um, government that's going on right now. So I think that's you know that's why he he resonated. But if you, now you look at the Republican Party, you know that's I I speak directly to union workers. I'm like, hey, you know the fact that you want to be in a union and you're part of union, it's unfortunately for them they don't have a choice. They have to, in our state now they have to be part of a union. They can't fire their their wow. the, the union. They can't get rid of them. And that's one of if you talk to people union members behind closed doors, they'll say this is something. This is one of the things we don't like because now you just solidified a new layer of government and control, and we have mm -hmm. no say because we right. can't fire them. Uh, but what I say to them is that you know. If you want, if you want to really fix this, because you're asking for a pay raise right now, and I get it, cost of living is crazy, but we're going to be right back where we're at if we continue to elect people that are for more spending, more bureaucracy, more regulations, and continuing to to be from the administrative bureaucracy elitist group. And uh, so, so that's that's you know that's how I like 
I try to uh, plead my case and get them on board. Well, uh, Michael, it's been a pleasure talking to you about all these issues. We've covered, I think, a good gambit of conversation here for listeners on my show and for anyone who's discovering you as well. Uh, Certainly, uh, if you're listening to the show here, I hope that you forward this to the people of Michigan because they're the ones that could actually support you. I'm curious, what are the next steps here as you run up to your primary against your other Republican competitors in August of 2024? Uh, What can people uh, expect to hear from you, see from you? I know you have Hoover for Senate.com where they can check out your platform, Uh, but where else uh, can people support you and where can they see you? So social media is really important um, at uh, Hoover for Senate and all the platforms. Uh, when I say all, we're Instagram, uh, Twitter, and Facebook uh, at Hoover for Senate. Uh, we need you to join us. We need you to uh, like and follow and share our message because that's how we that's how we get our note out there. The other thing is that if you want to join us and become part of our team. We have all different kinds of roles from throughout the country. And we actually have people throughout the country that are part of our team. You can go to hooverforsenate.com and you say, hey, I want to I want to participate. And it could be just sharing the message. It could be doing something uh, more specifically, like uh, getting signatures. Or if you're in Michigan, you can you know certainly you know come to our events. But one of the cool things that we've got going right now, yesterday, I was at the University, university of Michigan, talking to the college uh, kids there. Uh, today, I'm going to be at uh, Michigan State University. And uh, later uh, this evening, I will be at Central Michigan University uh, talking to college uh, kids who are uh, coming on board. They're helping us, um, you know, get our campaign, get our message out there. And that's really critical to, you know, to move our, to move, to move our campaign and to win because we got to get the, certainly we need to get the youth vote and uh, we're, we're going right after them. And we've got a few other stops planned for the rest of the colleges across the, uh, the state. Well, Michael, I put up uh, the website there, Hoover for Senate, while we're talking so people can see it. And it looks like you can gather your emails, all the tr- traditional political things that you would want on a website you have. You have Meet Michael, the priorities in front of you, the bills, some media, some events, as well as a shop and a donate section. So if you enjoyed this conversation that Michael and I have had today, I would uh, tell you if this resonates with you and you want to support somebody for U.S. Senate to help put a Republican into a seat, well, then by all means, go over to the Hoover for Senate and do so. I have no affiliation with the campaign. I'm just running a show, uh, not co- telling people what to do one way or the other. want to make that very clear. But if uh, you want to support, that is how you can do it. Michael, it's been a pleasure having you be a part of the program. You're welcome anytime. Well, uh, if you have some things that are going on, uh, just reach out to me and I'd love to have you back. And we can talk about the myriad of other issues that are plaguing this country right now. Well, thank you so much. I appreciated the opportunity. I really enjoyed your questions and your commentary. And uh, I feel like uh, you're somebody that uh, definitely could align with uh, Team Hoover. Well, I I definitely think that we definitely cross paths in many different ways. Appreciate it. Appreciate you. All right, everybody, that wraps up yet another show here on America Emboldened. I hope that you enjoyed it. hope that it was fruitful for you all. I hope that we honored your time while I always say that. If you would like to support me, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com. 
backslash bold America. That's a way to support specifically me. And then as always, you can go over to americaoutloud.com where you can see all of the network shows, the 24 seven talk radio network, where you can hear this show as well as so many others. And we hope that you continue to support that as well. It's been a pleasure. I will be back on Friday to do the weekly recap with my good friend, Chris Michaels. You've been listening to America emboldened with Greg Bolden here on the America Out Loud Network. Be bold, America.